welcome everyone to another episode of HR and Payroll 2.0. I'm Pete Tiliakis, and as always, I'm joined by the legendary Julie Fernandez. Welcome, Julie. Thanks so much. It's excited to get rolling here. Yeah, and you brought company this week. I did again. Um, so we're, we've talked to Dave Polachek once before, and we have an awful cool topic lined up on skills this week. So let's plow into the market news and, and uh, get to talking about skills and talent intelligence. Yeah. Welcome, Dave. Good to have you back on the show. As those that don't know, Dave is a, a longtime advisor in the space and um, uh, an alumni of the show. So Dave, welcome. Good, good to have you. I want to maybe do a quick intro just, uh, just so everyone knows a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Nice to be back with you guys. I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, Dave Polachek, been a uh, longtime practitioner. Actually, spent most of my twenty-something years out in the field as an HR practitioner, owning HR technology landscapes and, and service provider networks and whatnot um, within the companies I worked at. And then uh, a few years ago, started out on a consulting career and uh, have have had a great time working with a lot of different companies on. Um, everything from, you know, overall HR strategy and structure to nuances of talent processes to shared services, stand-ups and whatnot. And uh, joined Julie about six months ago. We've been having a great time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good to have you back. And for those of you that aren't familiar, Dave joined us for a conversation on analytics the last time he was here. So had rave reviews for that, Dave. So we're happy to have you back. And if you haven't checked out that episode, please, please do get into that. Uh, and later on today, we're going to be talking skills and um Uh, all things around the talent space, right? Talent intelligence. So, okay. So let's jump in first. Let's say uh, happy global payroll week, right? It is that time of year uh, where we celebrate the uh, professionals that pay the world and keep us all paid on time. So a big round of applause for the global payroll professionals out there. We absolutely appreciate uh, everything that you do. Um, So yes, go ahead, Julie. No, I just said, woohoo. Yes, absolutely. We need a little sound. I think we could have uh, stepped up our game, maybe had a little sound sound by here, but we didn't. So I apologize. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So be sure and get over to the GPMI, the Global Payroll Management Institute for plenty of festivities and activities going on all week. Uh, There is thought leadership content coming out, articles. I saw one by our good friend, Anita Latink today. There is, uh, I believe, webinars most days of the week. I have one coming on Wednesday that is going to be unveiling a really the results of the Getting the World Paid survey for 2023. Um, Nathan North and I will be talking through that. So I'd love to have you join me at 11 a.m. on Wednesday for that. So congratulations to the global payroll professionals of the world. Um, congratulations also to the American Payroll Association and the Global Payroll Management Associate, or in- Institute, uh, both very important, critical organizations, sister organizations, if you will, uh, within themselves, are now rebranding, effective tomorrow, May 2nd, uh, to Payroll Org, so, or the Payroll Org, I guess you could call it. So um, a little bit uneventful brand name, but hey, at least they're, they're, they're uh, taking a step forward in their, in their marriage getting both organizations together and I think bringing, you know, continue to do the great work they do to bring the awareness for the profession together. So excited for that. Uh, and I love the tagline they used to the new one, the uh, leader in payroll education. I would say that is a very true statement. They absolutely uh, are, are the go-to when it comes to uh, the payroll profession and the payroll education arena. Uh, okay. And the other thing I would also point out, too, is they have a new payroll community. If you haven't had a chance to get involved in that as a member, it's uh, you can find it at www.community.payroll.org. 
it's really been fantastic. I've enjoyed getting in there. Um, if you know the payroll world, as many of you who listen do, uh, it's a fantastic community that lifts each other up. And they have, uh, the APA and GPMI have created, excuse me, the payroll org, the new payroll org, has created an, a, a community where folks can, digital community, if you will, to go in and connect and, and trade information. So uh, be sure to take part in all that. Okay, so a little bit of news here, Julie. I got a couple of updates in also in the global payroll world. Uh, if if you're um, scoring at home, uh, the first one is Multiplier and Wise have gotten together. If you're not familiar with either of these, Multiplier is one of the younger, newer uh, global employer of record slash global payroll providers in the space. And Wise, the Wise platform, is an app that I personally use in my global travels and global business dealings to move money. Uh, I pay my attorney there who's working on my citizenship in Greece through Wise. It's very helpful. Uh, it gives you the ability to really move money in in multiple currencies very quickly at a very affordable rate and with very much like a, a, a PayPal style experience. So Multiplier and Wise have teamed up to make um, money movement much easier for their customers. Uh, they're going to support payments to freelancers and contractors and employees in 57 different currencies around the world. So very indicative of what you're seeing in the global payroll space and, and payroll in general, whereby payments, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> is is getting very, very close to the payroll experience such that uh, I think these solutions are almost one and the same now, even though they are very different and very complex in their own ways. They're becoming um, very close together in terms of how they're being sold and adopted. So yeah. and good I stuff there. There's been yeah. a number, so many individual of these beat that you've mentioned along the way that I know we've we've um, we've promised or threatened to have a conversation specifically about uh, some of that. So um, let's get that we'll get that on the docket. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are planning a uh, a global payroll, global EOR, global payments discussion soon. We're just trying to shape how to write, how to best do that. I'm almost thinking, Julie, it might end up being, uh, I was literally thinking about it the other day, it might have to be multiple episodes. So uh, I think this is a big topic here, right? We have been shelving for a little while and I think it's time we we had this. So yep, absolutely, coming right up. Okay. okay, probably the biggest news this week is uh, the announcement. You and I were talking about this before, Julie, about a light and workday uh, teaming up when it comes to global payroll again. Um, so it, it, as you know, it, this is to me, this is very interesting because if, if you know Workday, you know they've been very much, uh, I would say, I don't know if reluctance the word, but maybe maybe they've just sort of kicked the can down the road on going to market with any one partner for anything, to be honest with you. I think they are very much about the ecosystem as they should be, and they've been very much a uh, provide a marketplace, provide the, provide the ecosystem, provide the platform. And let the uh, let the buyers let the users decide what they connect and where they use. Um, so this is very interesting, right? This this pairs a light's um, deep pro services capability. They're they're a very well established uh, workday shop and workday deployer and operator with application management services, and the only really the only global payroll provider out there that could come to the table with something like that in addition to proprietary global payroll capability. So I think you know when people say, well, why why not PaySlip or why not Workday? Uh, excuse me, CloudPay or uh, why not Amidas? Why not Papaya? Right? Workday has an investment in Papaya through the Ventures um, portfolio. Well, again, it's that pro services capability, and I think at the end of the day, what what <clears throat> excuse me, what was very appealing to Workday is the ability to resell or sell their product into new locations and deploy into those new locations and. Uh, as you're out there, you know you're looking at this, this the countries where they're launching: Benelux, Germany, Italy, Nordic, Spain, and Switzerland. All very important growth areas in the uh, in the HCM ecosystem. So, really big announcement here. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, um, the, the footprint and the areas that they're starting are, you know, a lights acquisition and GA's, you know, kind of stronghold. The key, I think, to what you were saying there, Pete, is really the whole operator aspect and their strength as an operator. You know, folks that um, are more payroll practitioners might read that as the managed the manage payroll services uh, part, right? The pro, you, you were mentioning pro services. And well, that is yeah. different from being, um, yeah. you know, the, the partnership ecosystem on the payroll side that Workday has today is really global payroll, um, third-party connect, right? So the idea is the connectivity of the data and bringing the data in and uh, less of a focus in that in that partnership pool on uh, some of the what you would call pro-serve, right? And so there is a, yeah. a fine line or a delineation between um, what is being announced here and what is already well established in the ecosystem of the, um, of the third-party payroll partners. Yeah, that's an excellent point. When I when I say professional services here, what we mean is the deployment, the the the, the implementation of Workday, right? The ability for folks to uh, go to a provider that is able to not only deploy the solution, right? Many times you're just going to an SI, a deployment partner, and then you're handing off if you want managed services to someone else. I think that's what really differentiates the light here is that they can do their professional services deployment aspect, but also uh, continue down, downrange, if you will, into the future with the client from a managed perspective. So, um, yeah. So we'll see how that shakes out, but I do, I do see, you see some confusion, right. From folks that are even very familiar within the workday ecosystem, um, and who understand the payroll, uh, provider markets really understand like, what, what does this mean? And what is the, you know, what is the differences? Yeah. Yeah. I think it really gives Workday, let's be honest, it gives them that, I mean, look at these, look at these countries, right? I mean, it just sort of speaks to their, their nemesis, right? Success factors. Uh, I think they need that capability to battle that, right? Germany, for example, is a, is, is a stronghold for, for SAP and success factors. It's their backyard. Um, and, and Workday's had some struggles, let's face it, dipping their toe into some of these uh, European countries with their payroll capability. It hasn't been well received in, in some cases. So, um, yeah, I think having a strong partner that can help supplement them is, is really, really, really important. And when they can deploy their product even better. Right. Absolutely. So very good. Okay. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. And, and more countries to come as they've said. So, uh, so look, one more thing before we get to, uh, or one more update before we get to our, uh, topic of the week. And that is Unleash. I just came back from, from Unleash, the international festival of HR, as they, uh, have called themselves, branded themselves. Um, congratulations to Mark Coleman, Kate Graham, and the whole team there. Uh, always, always an amazing um, uh, show and an event. Lots of great networking, lots of great uh, opportunities to see clients and, and new prospects and learn about things I, I hadn't, you know, vendors I hadn't met yet. So uh, all the good stuff that you would expect from a, a, an event. And of course, in Vegas. So uh, you come back nice and tired and your feet hurt. And um, I lost my voice. So it's going to be back. <laughs> it's going to be back. But um, 3,000 people uh, attended, I understand. So good turnout. I, I hadn't been to Unleash since uh, before the pandemic. I had spoken in Amsterdam in 2018. So I, I was my first one back and it was very healthy, uh, very healthy attendance and a very healthy market, right? I think we're seeing plenty of data throughout the week that says people are, in fact, spending on HCM and, and, and VC hasn't slowed down, you know, at all. I think George LaRoque put out Q1 numbers was the seventh um, largest quarter on record or something like that uh, eight, eight, for dollars, eighth largest for number of deals. So there's plenty going, you know, plenty, plenty of work being done in there in the space. And that that's really exciting to hear. 
Um, I ran into multiple buyers. It was it was refreshing this time not to speak to people who were telling me they were still trying to figure out core HR. So that was nice. Um, most of the practitioners I spoke to were already on a modern core HR system and, and really, uh, unfortunately, though, looking to supplement things that their core HM, core HCM wasn't doing. Right. Yep. Um, you want to guess what the top three were, uh, Julie, that they were looking to replace well, <laughs> as part of that, the modules they wanted to replace? Well, spoiler alert, it might tie into our topic yeah. a little bit today, right? <laughs> well, it, it does. It does in a roundabout way. So so the, ta- the top areas that I when I when I listened to to folks that said, hey, we, we're happy with our core HR, we're, we're happy with the system, but we've got gaps that we're here looking to fill. Uh, talent certainly rolled up to the top and I'm sure and totally confident skills were if I would have pecked into that skills were, you know, certainly a part of that as we all know, um, analytics, which not surprising, right? We've heard that from the sapient report that analytics is angsty. Yeah. I still think those solutions are not, but are both, it's not that they're not enough. I think that they're just not as, I think that maybe the roles aren't keeping up with how to use these systems. And some of them are a little bit difficult to use. Uh, so I think that's, that's part of it. And then I think also I heard wellness a lot. Uh, there's so much appetite for wellness and that goes into a lot of different tangents. Uh, that I think that that was that was probably key. Um, and again, you know, uh, as with most of these HR uh, technology p- events, not a lot of payroll was there. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen more, but but maybe also we've got you know two weeks away. We've got the APA Congress, so I'm sure folks were really gearing up for that more more uh, on that in that world. But again, I'll tell you what what the areas that bubbled up when as I walked around, I looked at new solutions and I looked at the stuff there, and that was exactly what you just said. Skills. Yeah, I know it's our topic today. Skills talent intelligence, and absolutely AI, AI everything, right? Everyone had AI incorporated into what they're doing as they should. Um, And there were a lot of questions around that. A lot of the buyers that I was talking, we're talking to, particularly those that were telling me, you know, the things that they were out looking for, they had a lot of questions about AI, like, you know, should we be going, you know, going so hard on it, maybe right away? Uh, What's it mean for our organization? How should we be thinking about it from a privacy perspective? Like there was just so many, so many different questions in that world. So I'm excited that we have Dave because I, you know, I'd love to dig into this a little bit more uh, and certainly get, you know, he get his perspective coming off of the analytics world. So, so Julie, do you want to maybe take us through uh, kind of a conversation here uh, that we've, that we've thought about with, uh, with Dave on, on his perspective. And I know he's got some new content coming up around this as well. Absolutely. So let's dive in. And I think, you know, Dave, we were, um, we've been talking about uh, skills and talent intelligence an awful lot lately and focusing specifically as Pete's said at these conferences and other engagements, you know, there's a lot of focus on how do I improve the search for new talent, you know, so attraction or keep talent retention or engage and promote talent, you know, and move folks around. And it just seems like every lever that clients are trying to pull in the talent space has some sort of a link or a connection back to skills and talent intelligence. So I know you introduced yourself a little bit, but um, this is a topic that you've been preparing uh, more and more conversations on. And uh, so, you know, what is it about the dynamics of the market that kind of caught your attention and and had you thinking about uh, focusing some conversation around talent and skills? Well, well, certainly, yeah. Thanks, Julie. I mean, it's it's a really interesting topic, and and everybody's talking about it, right? So every every HR practitioner feels like if they don't have skills oriented technologies, particularly ones that are touted as intelligent technologies, that they are behind the eight ball, right? And the reality is the the hype usually is about a handful of companies and a handful of vendors that are out ahead, and that over the next if, if this hype all comes true, that over the next five to 10 years, 
you know, we'll see the real migration. Just like with cloud, it was 10 years ago uh, or longer that we started talking about cloud-based HR. And, and it's really only now that you're talking, you know, Steve, you're pointing out that they most of the companies you talked to had already made that move, right? But this is, you yeah. know, 10, 15 years into that. So, um, so recognizing that, I think what, what I found really curious is actually, Julie, when I joined the team here at Heron Palmer, and that was going through a hiring process. Now I've been following this industry for a while and, and seeing these technologies emerge and with, with a level of sort of excitement on the one hand, a little bit of skepticism on the other. When I came to join the, the Heron Palmer team, we, we, I uh, reached a certain point in the process. We'd had a bunch of conversations and, hey, Dave, in order to actually make an offer, we need to have you apply, right? So we were a little backwards, <laughs> but I went and I applied. And I'm not going to name the technology because I think they all have some similar problems at really the user experience layer. And that's that I went in, I applied and, and I uh, submitted my resume. And of course, it parsed my resume. That technology has been around for quite a long time now. And then it took me to screen where it had inferred a bunch of skills. And it said, well, Dave, we think you might have the following 15 or 20 skills. And when I looked at that list and I moused over, they were just one or two word phrases without any descriptions. Um, and I thought about, you know, kind of the user experience, almost journey mapping myself to say, what's on my mind right now as I'm going through this process? How am I going to use this system to capture the skills that I have and articulate to this prospective employer the skills that I have? And so many questions arose as I was doing that. Am I going to take 10 minutes and kind of validate what it suggested? Or am I going to take an hour and really start cataloging 25 years of experience into a long list of skills. And what does it mean that these one or two word phrases have now been attached to me? Are those really skills? Are those things I've likely been exposed to? You know, kind of what do they mean? And then interestingly for me, it suggested that I'm a Java programmer or that I have Java programming skills. I thought, well, that's interesting. I don't. And, <laughs> and so then you kind of think that through. You think, well, okay, if I'm a candidate, now I, I deleted that one, by the way. But um, if I'm a candidate trying to put my best foot forward and you as the employer through your technology suggest to me that I have a whole long list of skills and some of them I have, some of them I don't have, um, what am I going to do if I'm wanting to put my best foot forward? How many candidates will click to delete the ones that don't apply to them? And for those that don't and leave that data in there, like if I had left in there that I'm a Java programmer, then what does that do to the data set that will be used to train the AI over time? Is there going to be some sort of false associations that are going to inform how it infers somebody else's skills? So I really started having that user experience actually is what really triggered my sort of deeper interest in a level of uh, kind of skepticism about this. So we started, you know, spending some time I thinking wonder, about it. I wonder how many folks yeah. in that situation then, you know, start to fret about, you know, the white space that is all of the potential skills that it doesn't attach automatically. And, the, you know, and then, you know, that's, yeah, that's that, where my right? brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's where my brain goes, Julia. You know, how many times I've, I've filled those things out and I've thought like, wow, none of this really scratches the surface on what I, what I am or what I have, what I've done. Like, you know, it, it just, and how, and do, does everyone categorize things the same way, right? How many taxonomies are there now? Um, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. How, how much stuff goes unearthed, if you will. Yep. Yeah. And so for, for me, I think what it goes to is kind of a general point, which is sort of stating the obvious. And that's that while we're using the word intelligence and we're using the word skills, 
we're not talking about technology that's coming out into the real world, observing us, parsing our behavior, determining what skills in some empirical sense that we have. We're talking about software that's written to process data and to make predictions based on data. So the inferences it's making about me aren't because it knows anything about me, right? It's doing a, yeah. a six degrees to Kevin Bacon, for those that understand that reference, with, <laughs> uh, with, with you know, things that are words and, and, and roles that it found in my job history and attaching that through, through its AI. And, and I think there's a ton of potential here. So while I'll sound like a skeptic today, I think that we are, once we get through some of the initial hurdles, maybe some data standards get applied or some industry standards uh, on how we're treating this data. Um, I, I think there's a ton of potential here. The way I like to think about it is that skills data as it's being used today is really like tags, right? It's just a way of tagging people that something about talent management for Dave, right? And something about payroll for Julie, so that as I'm searching, Julie's gonna pop up in a payroll related search, right? And other right. topics related to payroll, so that people and opportunities can find each other. And then processes have to get designed that include some human validation of what does it mean that we have the word payroll attached to the candidate, Julie, those kind of things. So I, yeah. I just think it's really interesting to kind of pick this stuff apart because while most of us think that black box of AI is beyond our understanding, I think, and, and so it's hard to even know what questions to ask. The questions you can ask are at the end user layer where somebody like me is going in and entering or validating skills. And then on the flip side of that, a hiring manager or a recruiter is looking at a list of candidates and the, that list of candidates is sorted and filtered and whatnot. And how are they using that data and the output of the AI in order to make talent decisions? And how many in the in the mix are you know false positives or false negatives that are? Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love in the technologies that I'm seeing that they're making it where the jobs and the roles and the opportunities are almost finding the worker or will presumably in the future. I think that's that's a great great step, right? I a lot of us young in our career, right? We 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 have all these things that we we've done or maybe we want to do, but then we don't know how to connect the dots on it and find a proper path that maybe fits us. And so I'm hoping that to hoping to see some of this technology really help younger people in their careers earlier in their careers, figure out their path that, that they might not be thinking of uh, otherwise. Absolutely. And there's career pathing that's baked into this yeah. stuff. So there's, there's a ton of that kind of Dave, thanks for, thanks for thinking about sharing, you know, how you started from almost your own journey map, right. Um, into this topic. And I know we're going right. to <laughs> flip into the, you know, okay. So how, how is HR using that, right? The other lens, not, not the uh, voice of the employee, but maybe the voice of HR type of lens on how to use it. But I almost didn't want to go too far along in the conversation without just a little bit of name dropping of what sorts of technologies tend to be called out in in, um, you know, in this space, because there, you know, sometimes you can have a whole conversation about uh, an area and not even remotely have um, help help folks key in on what sort of players are big in this space. Um, I can rattle off a few, or do you want to take a shot at a few? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you, you've got Gloat, you've got Eightfold AI, you've got Fuel50. Um, you know, it, it depends on where in the talent cycle you're looking. There's tools like um, seek out that's really geared more towards um, talent acquisition, although they also um, provide great support for, you know, talent, uh, internal talent marketplaces. And then you've got the big guys. So, you know, Workday Skills Cloud 
um, is coming up and, and, and a ton of potential there as well. So there's a number uh, a number of players and, and certainly we'll, we'll all see, you know, Josh Burshan talking about these as well. Um, I, th I think uh, so. So the technologies are definitely moving quick and that's that's a handful yeah. of the ones that uh, I'm seeing. How about you? Uh, yeah. Pete, any others? Sorry, any go ahead. You want to toss out there, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, I just got a, so I just got introduced and had dinner with uh, cross the team at Crosscheck recently. Uh, to talent intelligence solution uh, platform ha has a number of different areas it helps. That's one I, I I've gotten uh, to to started to peck around with. So yeah, there there are a lot of them a lot of them out there that are very dynamic, doing some really cutting edge stuff. So awesome. check check them out. Well, folks that listen to us will know that that certainly there's certainly no intent of being um, either endorsing or being all inclusive as we start to throw some names out. But that helps us. Yes. That helps us at least get in the ballpark here. So, so maybe Dave, I think what would be helpful because I think we're we're preparing um, some topics and some information for a webinar here later in the month that will address specifically HR practitioners and HR and help give them some thoughts about how to get the most out of talent data and tools in this world that's really very emerging, right? Emergent and kind of a hot topic and everybody's everybody's thinking and talking about it. So um, what can we leave HR listeners with that will help them on um, thinking about what to do with skills and talent? Um, so can I dive into one area and uh, and have you uh, give a little bit of um, give a little bit of insights? Got a hand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked about when we talk about talent and skills, one of the first foundational items is just having that sort of data or information um, in your purviews, right? And 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 collecting it or doing something with it, like you described. So, um, what sorts of things are you seeing, or would you suggest that HR practitioners need to think about when you're looking at recognizing skills and and incorporating that into your HR data sets? Yeah, absolutely. So you'll notice I try and avoid just referring to this whole new market as skills. It's skills data. I don't think we actually know exactly what it means yet. Um, and I think that's the sort of foundational question that I'm, I'm curious to see answered. And certainly we're trying to answer it in, in, uh, in, in the article that we're about to publish and in, in that uh, webcast you mentioned we're going to be doing in a few weeks. Um, but I, I think that a key thing to remember is that it is a different type of data. So we've all, if any, most of us have had some conversation with some typically learning and development person who's got a real passion for the terminology around skills, knowledge, abilities, competencies. And if you get them talking, they're real differentiation between these different words. Um, and, and they're scientists as it relates to, as I said, mentioned earlier, kind of parsing out human behavior and attributes and whatnot. This is a whole different arena. This is data coming from a lot of different sources, including inference from AI, but also including things like my user experience and everybody else's of just adding data to the mix based on what you think a good word to describe a thing you know how to do is. Um, some of it is coming from formal assessment data. Some of it is coming from more formal sources, but just recognizing that there's a whole mix of data. And I think that's important in designing processes around it so that we're not taking recommendations from technology that's based on this loosely formed data um, as though it is gospel, but we're taking it as useful and directional and then wrapping more human-oriented processes around it. So I think that's a one of the first big takeaways is just recognizing we're not talking about skills. We're talking about a broad category of data that's been labeled skills, 
And as you think about designing HR processes, it should have that in mind. Yeah, that that's that's great insight. And when you're thinking about that data, so many other things come to mind too, right? In HR, that that we've kind of built HR around um, competencies being another one of those, right? So um, HR is trying to do something with this um, with these knowledge and figure out, you know, how am I looking at knowledge or skills or abilities, and and how do I start to, you know. How do I start to maintain those or what are the many different taxonomies that I might have already existing in my in- environment, you know, um, that that address or, or, or set some sort of a foundation for skills data? What are the challenges you're seeing there? Well, I, I think a big one, and this relates to a lot of talent processes, I think, is that we try and sort of spread the peanut butter across the entire organization, try and apply a practice across our entire enterprise when really it requires a more surgical and focused effort. I think competencies is a great example of that. So find ways to use the skills data for what it is, but then also look at those parts of your organization where um, a real depth of skill and competency in a particular area is really important to know about every employee in that area and, and do the good scientific, if you want to call it that competency work in those parts of your workforce where those skills matter. So I'm thinking about um, consulting or software firms where you're continually reassembling teams and you need to know exactly which contributions one team member can make versus another, whether it's, you know, this person's a great front end person, this person's all about databases. I need to know the difference between their skills in that respect. Um, you, you all know I worked for a big tire company for a while and, and there are certain things around compounding rubber that are really specific to the industry and nobody learns it in school. So you got to learn it on the job and we want to track your progress on those competencies. So these are areas where the real specifics of your skills really matter. They may apply to pay, but they definitely apply apply to and predict our ability to get the job done for a client or in a new product development. Um, So so that's where I think there is still a use for those OD or LND folks that are maybe watching the skills market with concern for their own job security, there's absolutely a home for them and a really important vital function in getting the good competency modeling science um, applied where it's going to really add business value. Yeah, that's a great point. You you mentioned uh, you mentioned a sample right around uh, some of the tire business that um, cre- that uh, pointed out a nuance right in in the in a level of data or a type specific type of skill or skills data and it just leads me to think a lot about um, data and capturing data versus really having any type of intelligent insights around what sorts of experiences or what level of knowledge someone has and that to me is just one of the big challenges of figuring out how to use this technology to our best advantage is, you know, we can capture some of the data, but what really does that tell us about um, the degree or depth of skills or specific knowledge areas? Uh, How do you think um, we can maybe look at balancing intelligence and experience better as we think about taking this journey? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a, it's a real dilemma, especially, you know, and, and I guess I'm, I'm probably starting to repeat myself a little bit on on kind of the the wide mix of data sources that we're mashing together and assuming it can give us intelligent answers. Um, I think the big thing is um, wrapping, as I said before, wrapping really human processes. Now, I came out of GE back in the day, and I really value the dialogue that happened 
around any individual's and really every individual's skills, abilities, career trajectory. Um, that that dialogue that happens is, I think, super vital to maintaining and establishing the culture of an organization. You know, when we talk about a team or a leader as as that person's leader and HR team. Um, you know, as we talk about the people in our organization and the competencies or the capabilities they have, we're not just talking about that person. We're aligning ourselves about what good looks like and what behaviors we tolerate, what behaviors we want to reward. That dialogue is actually how culture manifests in organizations. And so I, I love the idea of the technology as an enabler or an enhancement, but it's to a dialogue that needs to continue happening. So that's that's a bit of a soapbox, but um, I, I feel like there's a balance to be struck here and recognizing that the technology can help inform our decisions, but making those decisions in dialogue with one another as leaders in our organizations is actually how the culture gets, um, you know, kind of brought to life. And, and that actually lends, yeah. um, you know, there's actually an aspect, a broader aspect of culture as well, right? And and whether or not your culture is going to be a good fit or how it will fit with using, um, with using tools that bring more transparency or tools that bring more churn, right? Or tools that are really designed and focused to um, having internal talent be more mobile, um, you know, across their career uh, in an organization that maybe uh, tends to move people more hierarchically, right? Um, and so, so there's a leadership aspect of the culture and whether or not you're, you're ready for, you know what you're getting yourself into, right? Um, that that, uh, that these, these tools and moving in this direction will bring. Absolutely. And, and finding that sweet spot when you know that this technology and new process you wrap around it can kind of help nudge the culture forward, but that you're not, um, that, that you are actually ready for that nudge. You know, in some organizations, like you're saying, where it's real hierarchical, you're used to kind of more of a, you get that tap on the shoulder when it's time for you to get promoted kind of approach, as opposed to folks being empowered to, to kind of grow their own careers. Um, if the culture's not ready for employees to take hold and for the talent processes to be somewhat democratized, then these kind of technologies are going to, you know, they're going to fall on their face in those, in those companies. I don't mean generally, but in those companies where the culture is not ready and as well, it's not just about the culture of the company. That's certainly one piece of it. But the other is if you're in an organization that operates a, on a pretty stable basis, you know, you got manufacturing organizations that are structured and maintain stable. You're not in a super innovative mode in product development. So there's not a, a lot of new innovation that you need to kind of churn talent through project teams to develop. If you're more of a stable organization, again, more hierarchical in your structure, it may not be uh, the best fit to apply some of these talent technologies. Now, they certainly can be informative on the learning side, and perhaps that's where they're best applied. But in terms of creating talent mobility, it's, it's kind of be careful what you ask yeah. for. I feel like we're coming yeah. full circle here, right, on the conversation when we start talking about readiness, because you really, um, you know, then need to get into the conversation or at least acknowledge the fact that um, the, there's a lot of buzz, there's a lot of activity out there, but how quickly are folks really adopting and using um, these tools and are they doing it, you know, in, in a way that leads to the results that they're looking for. And so, you know, as with anything, you, you when you go to either a, a provider or one of these tool uh, 
organizations with leading tools or a consultancy that is going to help you deploy leading practices, those practices are always going to push the envelope, right? And go toward, you know, kind of the, the furthest extension of, you know, how, what you could do with talent and skills. And uh, many organizations are, need to step into that a little bit more cautiously. Am I being, you know, am I being a little bit too cautious or <laughs> pessimistic about about readiness and and moving into the talent and skills um, intelligence area? That's a great that's a great point, Julie. I love where you're going there. And and like the you know it's so easy. We've all seen leaders make the kind of bright shiny object decisions where they go to a conference or they watch a webinar and somebody they respect is talking about some cool new thing happening and they want to apply it immediately in their organization. But, you know, whether it's these types of tools or any others, there's always the benefit to be gained from a conversation. Are we ready for this? This is cool. And I'd love to have on my resume that I brought this technology or this new practice to my organization, but is my organization ready for it? Is this the right moment yeah. for it? What are your thoughts, Pete, um, yeah. when you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think everything that, you know, we say this a lot, but it's all about the use cases you're trying to solve, right? It's like, you know, I, I, Dave, is it safe to say, you know, when we think about things like AI and, and, and maybe even RPA, you know, a lot of folks are like, oh, we want to do that. But it's like, you can't just sort of do it at, scale, at, at wholesale, right? At scale at first. You've really got to be doing it, uh, uh, doing it is not the right word, but applying it against key use cases. And I think putting it through your filters and shaping it for your organization is always key, no matter what what the technology is. Um, and the same for the change, right? It, it, it kind of goes without saying. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, if you've read Laszlo Bach's book, um, Work Rules, it's just a lot of great examples there of, you know, you got to run the experiment in your organization, which means yeah. piloting. Having doing the the hard work of design of experiment, and then uh, and then piloting these kind of tools and others um, before you decide whether it, it's uh, you know it, it's going to work for the entire enterprise. Yeah, you know, I had an interesting conversation with 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 a buyer this week, an enterprise firm, and we were talking about I can't remember what sort of technology we were talking about exactly, but I was asking them about change management, right, and culture and all of this, right, and it was funny because the 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 head of um, uh, the lady I was speaking to was sort of their director or VP over like HR systems uh, and HR data, people data. And one of the things we were talking about was um, on the change management side was she said, you know, sometimes for change management for us as a retailer, we, they have a very heavy retail population, uh, hourly population. She said, you know, our management likes to sort of learn things by doing it. And so she said, a lot of our change management boils down to guard railing people against doing the wrong thing. And I thought that was really interesting. At first, I was like, wow, what a reactive way. But then I'm, she said, but that's how we have to do it, right? We can't count on people stopping and learning and taking a class in, in a lot of ways. So we have to provide them with what information we can, provide them with the training we can, and then guardrail it so that they can't mess it up. Uh, and I thought that was sort of a, a different way to look at it. But it's interesting that I think that change and change management and culture and all of those things take a different uh, fit, fit differently for every organization and, and shaping that to around what you know your employees are best going to perform with is always important as well. Yeah, it's a great insight. I love that. So, yeah. So Dave, I yeah. Think, <laughs> I thought it was different. That there's a, that there's a webinar coming up and you're going to push out some materials. Folks that are interested in finding out a little bit more, following this conversation in more depth, what, what should they be looking forward to? 
Yeah, well, so we've got a, uh, a, a blog article coming out in the next uh, couple of weeks here that's going to kind of walk through. It's, it actually, it, a lot of the stuff we've covered, we'll, we'll talk about that. And then later in May, we'll have uh, our webinar, you and I talking about this topic with a little bit more you know, kind of conceptual framework around the decision making and whatnot. And would welcome to have um, folks participating in that, joining in the conversation and poking at us with questions and whatnot. Um, that's coming up on okay. May 23rd. And Pete, I think we have a nice segue here because awesome. we might, uh, we ended with change management and we're thinking that we might be having some more change management uh, conversations coming up shortly. So. Yes, yes. We're trying, we're working on that. That, that is going to be a very nice segue. Hopefully we can yep. get that lined up. Um, so where can you, where can folks join that May 23rd webinar on, on heronpalmer.com? Look for that. Yeah, look for that. that right? or, uh, actually, reach out to Dave or I maybe in LinkedIn um, and or you okay. or wherever, and uh, we'll get a link. Yes. I'm not sure exactly where that is uh, available Perfect. yet. We're just getting that finalized. So. Yeah. Very good. Very good. What else? Anything else going on, Dave, in your world? How can folks connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely find us on LinkedIn. Um, we'll probably what we can do is we can also attach uh, uh, links to the, the upcoming blog and the webinar to uh, information about this podcast, I'd assume. Um, so I'd welcome folks reaching out for that. We're talking a lot of companies on, uh, on a lot of topics related to this, but also, you know, the traditional like tech selections, um, picking their system integrators, um, overall HR dashboard. So there's a lot of topics we're covering with our clients and, and would welcome reach outs for anybody interested in having that conversation with us, even just to start out as a sounding board conversation. So you can find me on LinkedIn um, and, as well as Julie and um, and would love to hear from folks. Yeah. Awesome. Julie, uh, what do yeah, you got going thanks. on? I thought we were just going to get to what's next, right? So next week I'm actually going um, yeah, yeah. to be in Chicago and we'll be um, working a little bit with Ceridian and the light uh, instances. So, um, so it's rare. Usually when I head out, I'm, I'm heading out for client specific contexts. And uh, so I'll be just catching up with the both of them next week. And then the APA Con Congress uh, coming up right mid-month, which I'll, uh, that's a perfect transition over to you, I think. What do you got coming up? Yes, absolutely. And as I, yeah, everything, right? <laughs> no, uh, this week, Global Payroll Week, be sure to, to uh, join all the festivities there. Uh, I'll be on Wednesday, May 3rd at 11 a.m. with uh, Nathan North for a fireside chat. So make sure you join in on that. We're going to talk about the Getting the World Paid survey. Uh, next week, I'm going to head out to Austin, Texas for the Zoholics uh, Analyst Day, the Zoho, if you know the Zoho ERP cloud platform. Uh, I'm a customer and, a, and, an, and an analyst, so I'm excited to be attending from that perspective. Um, and then, of course, yeah, the APA Congress, the Super Bowl of payroll, May 16th to the 19th in Denver. Everything's going to be going on there for me personally. Uh, a lot going on with all of the major vendors in the marketplace, so be sure to be there uh, and join in on all the fun. It's, a, it's an exciting time. I think that's it for today, right? Thank you so much, Dave, for, for joining us. Julie, as always, thank you. For the time, it's great yep. to be able to chat with you guys. Always engaging. Yes, likewise. Good to see you guys. Take care, everyone. Bye.